0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 84 of Midweek Metagame. I'm HarryMTG, joined by my two regular co-hosts, Patrick Robertson. Hey, everybody. And Gable Nassif. Hey,
1: what's up, everyone?
0: Well, well, well. Another week, another set of testing. We've actually had our hands on the Modern Horizons 2 cards now that they've been released on Magical Line. So obviously this week we're going to be getting into a load of decks that we've tested, what we've played against, what we're seeing in the metagame. You know all the jazz, we're going to get straight into it. But also, I think towards the end there was some sort of PT that Gab played in over the past weekend, I believe. So we're also going to be talking about that. I'm not going to lie, I didn't watch it, so I literally have no clue what format it was. But I know it's on Arena, so we're going to get into that. And I guess talking to the BNR that was announced in Historic as well. Uh, but yeah, before we get into this episode, as always, we are brought to you by Card Market. Uh, They sponsor the podcast, and if you didn't know what Card Market is, it's a marketplace online where you can buy and sell anything card game related. So if you either want to buy Magic cards or sell Magic cards, definitely go check them out. We've all used them extensively, and they're a great platform uh, to kind of just buy whatever you want. They're essentially the eBay for everything uh, card game related stuff. It's sick. Uh, Go check it out, and thanks to them for supporting the cast. As well as we should say thank you to all our Patreons. Uh, If you want to support us as well, personally, then go to patreon.com slash midweekmetagame. No pressure, but that's the best place to do so. Anyways, we want to get into some Modern Horizons 2. I think, Gab, you've played the most Modern Horizons 2 out of all of us. So why don't you kind of get into uh, what decks you've tried over the past week? All right, yeah. I've been playing uh, every day on my stream.
1: I started was. Solitary Confinement, I think I talked about it already a bit. Kind of a throwback, you know, a deck I played 20 years ago in Extended. And I didn't have high hopes, but it was kind of cool. It had the Gifts on Given pa- Package. I think that deck's not especially good, but, you know, was somewhere to start. And then I played, like, two challenges past weekend. I played Esper on Saturday. I wanted to play with Counterspell and I thought Esper was best before the new cards, so I figured it might still be decent. Didn't go super good. I went three and four. I actually lost a mirror match to Riptide Lab. I didn't have my own Riptide Lab in the deck. That's the land that you can tap to bounce your own wizard. I do think that card is strong in control. If you're playing 304 Snapcaster, you probably won the first copy. I think it will win you a fair share of games and justified a colorless land even though field of rune pretty strong right now we're probably going to talk about it a lot urza saga the new land enchantment we barely talked about it on the cast because it was part of the the cards that were pulled at the very beginning and I'm not gonna like kind of flew under our radar and i think a bunch of people's radar and it's arguably the the best card in modern horizon 2 I say arguably because I think Charlotte's Agent has a strong case. You find it in so many decks, whether it's Aggressive decks, Humans, Tribal Zoo, even I saw Niv Aggro decks. You find it in Living End decks, in the Rhino decks, just huge, huge impact. So I think these are clear top two. Maybe you can add to that the Cookbook and... The new creature, Osmo, you know, the one I'm talking about, the one with the super long name.
2: Yeah, you know the one he means. None, none of us can pronounce that. Yeah.
1: Either. So off the top of my head, you know, Urza Saga, Charlotte's Agent, and Cookbook, plus that creature, kind of the the new uh, free powerful engines or key cards of, of the new set.
2: Yeah, I mean, I agree with that assessment. I think, you know, Urza Saga... Was like one of the first cards they spoiled for the, for Modern Horizons two, so it's gonna be hiding in plain sight, the best card of the best card in the set, or you know, contender for the best card in the set. Um, we should probably get it out of the way and talk talk a bit about like you know what deck it's been slotting into, what archetypes it's enabled, and stuff like that to begin with, I guess, before we really kind of go and in, go into other things. So, I think the the key selling point to Urza Saga is just how little it asks of you. To you know, make value of it in your deck. I think for the first the first deck dump, we saw people with you know dedicated decks that had lots of artifacts, of good things to tutor for, and you know really making the most of the of the two bodies it provides, and as well as the third the third chapter ability. But then also people doing as little as just having some copies in their blue eye control deck that and it tutors for you know maybe a pithing needle or a, an uh, expedition map, which can go and get another copy and just keep that kind of chain going. So. It gives you, you know, it's essentially a three for one on a land, and asks very little of you. So it's kind of the most flexible and kind of open-ended card in 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 Modern Horizons too, especially at the top of the power level scale. You yep. so what decks have have we seen it in? I've seen it in Amulet Titan. It's like a really good way to go and get extra amulets and put them into play. It gives it another dimension, another dimension. Obviously, you know, not only just a mana ramp deck, but you also have like a couple of artifact creatures that you can start pressuring control decks with. I've seen it in affinity. I've seen it spawn its own archetype, like a kind of a food archetype, which is using the cookbook as well, the cookbook and and the creature that comes with the cookbook uh, to put out a lot of food and reanimate uh, is it, uh, the troll king, feasting troll king. There's basically I've just seen it in all sorts of decks. I mean, I've seen Can- Canister streaming uh, lantern control again, and. It's just so flexible and powerful that it's just turned up everywhere and basically spawning its own archetypes or revitalizing archetypes that are dormant. Like, we haven't seen Affinity since they banned Mox Opal, and it wasn't even very good before that, and now suddenly it's a deck that has, like, you know, been putting up good results. It even was, like, good in Legacy. like won the Legacy Challenge over the weekend. So this card is hard to ignore how powerful it is and just how many decks it can possibly go into. What what, what homes have you tried it in, uh, in Gab?
1: I only got my hands on the card yesterday. It was, it it shot up to 90 ticks for a regular rare. And I got uh, some copies yesterday. Canister loaned them to me. And I tried them, could call that a waste, but I wanted to play Goblin Bombardment Enduring Renewal. That's an old school combo deck, literally from, you know, ninety ninety nine Pro Tours. And the way the combo works is you need Goblin Bombardment or Grinding Station as a Sacrifice outlet. You need Enduring Renewal, which is a white, white, and two enchantment that basically says whenever a creature goes to your graveyard from play, you get it back in your hand. And you need a zero casting cost creature, so Memnite or Ornithopter, meaning that you cast a creature for free, you sac it for free, you get it back for free, and you just either mill them or deal infinite damage. And um you know Urza Saga goes nicely into that too because it uh, provides you value. You can play it on turn two. It's a natural curve of playing it on turn two, playing you know, your two mana out sack outlet on turn two or three. And then it does give you the mana before it gets sacked on turn four. So you can use it to cast renewal and it'll tutor your your one drop or your zero drop. Um, not the most effective because I don't have a ton of artifacts, so you don't make the hugest tokens, but still pretty solid card in the deck. You can get, you mentioned it, bubble, expedition map. I was playing a Hall of Heliitch Generosity and I was putting back Urza Saga back on top. You can bounce it to your hand. You know, you mentioned Blue-White Control, you can bounce it to your hand with Teferi, so you can re- use it if you're playing Blue-White. You can also bounce their Urza Saga and send them back, so I was pretty high, or we were pretty high, on Teferi in this meta because of Cascade, but that's another good use of Teferi. And um, yeah, I was impressed by the card. It wasn't amazing in my deck, but I could see how you know, a deck like Affinity can be really strong now. Because you look at Affinity, and it's just kind of a pile of creatures, looks super linear, and doesn't look like there's are much to it. Sure, you got that 2-2 two, two Flower Thought Cast, creature that seems fine you got the new equipment that pumps your creatures for you know it's basically plus a plus one plus one plating i think it also has living equipment or whatever
2: yeah it has living weapon it's like three mana it's a three mana creature with equipment with living weapon that has plus one plus one for each artifact and enchantment you control
1: and then the list i saw had four rebukes as your only disruptive spell in the main deck but you know you can see how just having turn two saga and drawing maybe one rebuke can single handedly win you the game in some matchups. So, yeah, card super powerful. I haven't seen it in action in Titan or in that many decks, actually, because the card was really expensive. I think people played it in that uh, food deck as well. I'm not 100% sure, but. Yeah, it's, it's certainly a big
2: component of the, the Underworld Cookbook Facing Troll King deck. Yeah. I mean, you just make so many food tokens, and it just makes... So you, your constructs are just enormous. I think the original list that I saw, uh, Doomwake Streaming, had Life in the Loom as well to get it back.
1: Yeah. For, you know, people who haven't seen the card in action, basically all you have to do is play it on turn two, turn turn three, it gets the second counter, tap it, then two mana, make a creature. If you have other zeros in play, you know, it's a pretty big t- creature. Then Fur Trigger before it... Dies. You can tap it again to make another creature. So you got two tokens out of the card, and you go get a one-man, one or zero-man artifact. And um, you know, if if your opponents playing a fair deck, that can be really hard to to deal with. And you definitely have to uh, to have a plan. If if you're planning on playing some kind of fair deck, make sure you don't just kind of you know fold
0: to a single or just saga. Yeah, I mean, looking at the card-on-card card market, I mean, it shot up to 30 euros for an English copy. So I mean, people are really grabbing a, uh, grabbing these cards. But something I wanted to mention about it, though, that I was kind of, kind of, I'm seeing is, you know, when Oko and Uro were printed into the format, for example, every single deck splashed for Oko and Uro. Right? We had Infect, we had Niv, we had Control, we had Jund. All these decks are trying to play, you know, Uro and Oko. I mean, that, that's what I'm seeing with Urza's Saga right now. I mean, we're seeing control players Urza Saga. We're playing ag- seeing aggro decks players Urza Saga. I mean, literally every deck is trying to play this card. And what I'm scared of is the outcome of the best Urza Saga deck, right? Because this deck is very sorry, not deck. This card is very powerful on its own, making the constructs getting you uh, what you need in a, as an artifact on the third lore. So I'm wondering what the best deck it uh, slots into. But something I thought was um, interesting is that I'm seeing not much hate for the card, like specifically Enchantment Removal, right? I don't know where I saw it, but you can actually destroy the saga in response to the first trigger, right? So then they can't tap it for mana if you have an instant speed uh, Enchantment Removal. So I thought that was pretty cool, and uh, I only recently found out about that. So I think there are, like, downsides to it if you have a lot of hate. But I think that once there's like a really good deck for this card, I mean they're already very good decks. I think I think it's potentially ban worthy. I'm going to be honest from what I've seen so far.
2: I th- I th- I, I, you, you're definitely right. You can kill it with the, tri- the first trigger on the stack, and so you can't have it for mana that turn. The problem with trying to find kind of hate cards for a card with a, with you know land and enchantment as its card types, it's just ask so it asks so much of you for a different deck building point of view. So that. And Modern's so wide open that you can't really go out of your way to target a card like Urza's Saga and really expect to have good gaming against anyone who's turned up sleeving up anything else. Um, That's the thing. Like, There's a lot of good ways to answer it. You can Pithing Needle it. You can um, you can Spreading Seas. Spreading Seas is a really nice way of interacting with it. Like like, like Gab said, you can bounce it with Teferi, Time Raveler. There's ways of interacting with it. And interacting with it, I'd like to say profitably, but not massively profitably um but at the same time it's just would you rather be the one would you rather be the one playing as a saga or the one trying to beat it and everything else at the same time as for what what deck it really goes into though i don't think we're kind of at the i don't think we're anywhere near the final iteration of what's the best thing to be doing with this card i've seen lots and lots of things lots, and lots of fair decks with it i feel like these kind of Food decks are ultimately quite slow and kind of grindy. They do a good job of attacking on multiple axes. Like you can't really load up on, let's say, graveyard hate or artifact hate against them, because they can just you know make a a one a one mana three three and start pressuring you. Or or they have the kind of the troll king angle that really that that, that gets going. And you know if you try and interact too much with their kind of fancy tr- fancy stuff, you just get beaten down. Maybe that's the right way to go, but there's you know. What about looking at cards like, you know, Urza Lord High Artifacts? So or like, you know, Urza plus Urza Saga is, there's got to be some kind of combo, right? I mean, it couldn't not be. And, you know, I think a couple, I think about cards like Emery as well. They, they all encourage you to play lots of artifacts, you know, cheap artifacts as well. So there's definitely like multiple stages uh, to the evolution of you finding the best the best home for this, this deck, or for this card, sorry. And,. If I think back to those Oko, those Oko days where it took us a, took people a long time to find the right shell for it in modern and it turns out it was just play all the best things. <laughs> you know, it was, you know, Moxes, it was Khans, it was Oko's, it was Urzas, it was Emery's. And you know, Gilded Goose as well. Like Gilded Goose works really, really quite nicely with Urza, Urza Saga, I think. Makes you makes your constructs bigger, all this sort of stuff. It has synergy with the other good cards you want to be playing. So yeah, I, I agree with you. Not not very many uh I don't think we're close to the, the final iteration, final form of this, and it's the sort of card we're going out of your way to target it and try and have have, a, have cards that really interact positively with it is not going to not going to leave you in the best spot in a format like modern, because face it, like no matter how good the card is, you're not going to have fifty percent of the field turning up or sixty percent of the field turning up playing this card. You still have to beat the kind of the Tron decks, the Merfolk decks, all this sort of stuff, or the Burn decks with no with no new cards. So if so i turn up with a bunch of erasers in my deck i'm just going to die horribly
0: it's funny you mentioned tron there cuz uh dominic harvey actually posted a 50 list with uh four orza saga in tron <laughs> the yep, co- not, literally everyone for it yeah it, exactly I mean,
2: it, it sets you up it goes to get an expedition map you know it gets a chromatic a chromatic sphere, chromatic star you don't even have to play any extra cards in your deck essentially to make it valuable yeah fits in there just fine i think
0: yeah one card that um didn't surprise me alongside his saga was uh Ragavan. Obviously I think I think I kind of said I really really like the card. Obviously I wanted to play a lot with it, so I did over the past weekend. Um uh, my first time casting it was out of the sideboard of Blue Moon. Obviously I had to do some clickbait if I'm coming back with a bang. So I did that, Ragavan was sick. Turn one Ragavan was awesome, having Force and Negation backup was awesome. Um every time I got like I've never had like felt so good connecting with a creature in my life. It's it's kind of like uh what is it? You know, it gets your blood pumping. It's like Dark Confidant, right? You pass and you just pray they don't have the removal spell before you're upkeep or something. It's kind of like that. I really like it. As well as like it reminds me a lot like uh Delver. And obviously, after playing Blue Moon, t- tuned into a Sparring Spike stream. What a surprise. He's playing a Ragavan uh, kind of Delver-style deck with Mishra's Bauble and Dragon Rage Channeler and uh, Expressive Iteration. So obviously, copied that list, too. Played some Ragavan. Four copies in the main. And, oh my gosh, th- the card is so much fun. And also so busted. I think if you're going to have a counterplay to Urza Saga if you're not playing, I think a Ragavan deck is going to be really good. I think having four Force of Negation, four Ragavan, four Dragon Rage Channeler, it's such a good shell. Because I've never been like I've never been so impressed with uh two new one drops in the same set. Either Dragon Rage Channeler or ter- or Ragavan turn one was insane. And the channeler gets delirium so fast with Surveil. Like the fact that it's Surveil One is nuts. And uh, it turns your force of negations into really good value because a lot of the time when you play force negate a lot of force of negations, you know, you get into these spots where it's like, well, I have to force and I need to pray that I rip something or I could easily burn out. Well the surveil one really helps. Like you force their whatever, their Liliana the Veil, vale. you surveil the land into the graveyard and you top deck a spell. Stuff like that. I really like Dragon Rage Chandler. I really like Ragavan. Have you guys tested with or even played against these cards? Because I thought like, they were almost perfect, really, for, for this style of deck in the format.
1: I have actually not faced a single ragvan yet. Once again, Mythic Rare was the most expensive card in the set for a while. I'm not sure if it still is. But I have played against uh, Chandler in these uh, black-red shells, kind of depth shadow shells. And... uh yeah, the card seems really good in, on paper. I think it dominated, you know, Ragaman and Chandler, I think dominated the Legacy Showcase this weekend, or the Mox, there was a big Legacy Tournament on Magic Online, and it was basically, you know, if you don't have your, your Ragamans and your Chandler's, why show up? But, um yeah. What was I going to say? I played against them was Living End. So I was kind of scared because I was playing Living End and the Surveil is kind of scary. If they they get to mill their own creatures and they can build their channel their or get back some creatures. It went okay for me in the end. It wasn't good enough. Um, but um, yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, the card, it's not like hiddenly busted, you know, it, It's it's yeah. on the card that it's going to be good.
2: Yeah, I think that Ragavan was obviously the card that everyone had pegged as the best card in the set going into release. Uh you know, so before they kind of gravitated around it, it as a saga. And I think we spoke a little bit about, you know, it, it, it finding a home in sort of, you know, blue tempo decks or whatnot. I'm, I'm really I'm really pleased to hear that uh, Dragon Race channel has also been playing nicely. One of the problems with one of the problems with Delver is every time you would look at the top card of your library in your upkeep, I would kind of wish I could just put it in the graveyard if it wasn't what I wanted, but I just forced to draw it every time. It was terrible. Like, not only do you brick on turning a thing into a 3-2, but also you have to draw this land. It's just really miserable. Whereas, like, Channeler really gives you that kind of best of both worlds. Like, you get to kind of, you know, filter your, your drawers while also being a kind of cheap one mana 3-3 three, 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 th- threat in the mid-game. It's really hard to say. 3-3 three, three threat. Okay, okay, we got it out. Great. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm pleased to hear yeah, that that was doing well. and circling back around to the kind of saga discussion where you don't want to be vulnerable if you're a reactive deck or you know semi-reactive deck you don't want to be putting yourself in this position where you're vulnerable to them drawing a single as a saga i think these proactive kind of blue red strategies that harry's describing might be a way to to lean your kind of blue control decks or blue blue mid-range or tempo decks uh going forward because at least you like make the game short and if your opponent's gonna spend turns three and turns four just tapping their tapping their land to make a, a essentially a creature's just power and toughness. If you're clocking them pretty hard and have a little bit of removal to back it up and some other interaction, then maybe that's a good way to to not make yourself vulnerable to a card like a saga Should we talk a bit about Living End though? Because you've you've alluded to it a couple of times, Gap, like it's the deck you spent the most time on over the over the last few days, and so do you want to to just kind of let us know where, where you started and where your heads are
1: yeah for sure um so i played the the challenge on saturday three and four with us for control wasn't super impressed and kind of decided i wanted to play something quote unquote busted on sunday and i think you brought up living in right yeah, so I actually
2: played against Living End in a in a heads up queue. I just I want I wanted to test something that I was just make sure the mana was right on something, and I played a heads up queue. And someone played just cascaded just living end cascaded against me and I just went, Oh, I should probably build that deck. That seems really easy to build. And so I just built it and it's just it it builds itself almost. It's just kinda of all the blue cyclers, four force of negation, and then you play uh, you know, a few copies of living end, obviously, and then some cascades creatures, so violent outbursts and um and shardless agent, and then one of the perks of these, you know, being blue red base essentially, is you get access to uh, adventure creatures, which are you know have a high casting cost, so they don't get hit off cascade. So you can play like brazen borrows if you want to. You also get to play fire ice, which has got four a four a mana value of four. You have you know if you really want to, you can play bone crusher giants. So you can play all the evoke elementals, and it really sets you up nicely to kind of fill your graveyard up quickly. Living end in their turn. And also have force mitigation backup because you know half of your living end enablers uh, let you go off at instant speed. So yeah, I kind of just drafted something and sent it through to you on the Saturday or Sunday, and you tuned it and put it in the challenge.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it made total sense. There was a deck that was already dominant in the old modern Sodec. Is the one who popularized it. I'm not sure where it came from originally. Of course, Living End has been around for a while. It was a deck I really enjoyed playing uh, in its mono blue form a couple years ago. You would just play Cryptic Commands and Remands, As Foretold, Living End, tons of Cyclers. You're pretty reliant on on finding, you know, you had to find both As Foretold and Living End, but you also had Ancestral Vision. No Cascade stuff. That card, that deck was really good against Tron because you got to play Field of Rune, Remands, and Cryptic Commands while kind of having a pretty fluid engine. So you're kind of like a control deck. It was pretty bad against Burn decks, something like Humans. You had very little interaction to, to kill something like a Meddling Mage and stuff. It was never a great deck, but the the Cascade version was really good. And you just got such massive upgrades Was Modern Horizon 2. You got Shardless Agent over Arden Plea, meaning you don't have to be four colors anymore. You get a much cleaner mana base. And you, I mean, mostly that, mostly that is just huge, just cleaner mana base, less pain from your lands, and the 2 2 body is just much better than Arden Plea. You also, you know, the most obvious ones were the sideboard cards. You got Foundation Breaker, which is the new Inga Chure except it's green and it's naturalized. And, uh, you know, that sounded really good to me. So I decided to build that, played, I don't remember exactly, a couple of Fire Eyes, a couple of brazen Grazen Bars. I think I still had four Force of Negation, had a subtlety in the main, subtlety in the sideboard, and played it in challenge, started 4-0, ended up losing my last three rounds, but I felt like it was mostly on me and sideboarding, some really close matches, and the deck just felt really strong to me. It felt like I was winning fairly easily when I was winning. And when I was losing, it was my openings doing really well, me making a few mistakes, maybe maybe getting a little unlucky. And that's usually a really good sign, you know, when your wins are easy and your losses are all close. So play that deck, and as we're, you know, playing the deck and talking about it, we you know, me, Twitch chat, etc., just decided that maybe grief should be in the get in the deck. That sounded pretty busted. Uh, you know, just evoking grief, hitting their hand, getting it back when you cast living end, making sure they don't have anything nasty in hand, and um, that that's where I took the deck. After that, you know, I added grief. It lets you get use of your extra living ends that you draw that are usually dead draws, so that part is super nice. And um, you know, I tuned the. The creature based to have four architect of will. That's the blue black cycling one. And um, yeah, I've been really impressed with the deck. Uh, it's the deck I've played the most with modern horizon two. I think it's really strong. It's insanely powerful. You can literally go, you know, turn one cycling, grief, you turn two cycling, either force or subtlety or spell and turn three cascade and it's not that fa- it's not a fantasy draw with the deck it's not like oh yeah sure that's like a game in hundred night. it happens like pretty consistently so deck's insanely powerful the problem is it lines up kind of poorly against a lot of the hate and it lines up kind of poorly against some strategies historically living in is just awful against other graveyard decks because you're just doing the work for them they're just milling themselves anyways a deck like dredge and they're like, sure, cast Living, and you know, uh, they might have a bigger graveyard than you. So that part's not great. It's tough against graveyard hate. It's tough against counter spells. And um, yeah, but so yes, there's balance. The deck is insanely powerful, but also kind of doesn't line up super great against stuff.
2: Yeah, the way um, the Medicain shaped up early on is really worked against this deck i think you know people leaning on cards like feasting troll king and you know filling their graveyard up various different ways like that um yeah you know, dredge being a, a relatively popular deck and also just not very many creature decks to really get massive advantage for the wrath on made it you know pretty kind of tenuous uh to be playing this deck i think going forward people were really trying to play counter spell as well uh, lots of lots of counter spells in in the leagues and this sort of stuff but i agree with you it's definitely a really powerful strategy. Can we kind of, like, dovetail this discussion about, like, grief into, you know, what we think of the elementals overall? Harry, have you had a chance to play with any of these pitch elementals? Because I know that we're all kind of pretty... They received a lot of, kind of, attention uh, coming out of spoiler season, so...
0: Have you cast any yet, Harry? Honestly, I have played them in my sideboard, and I've brought them in but never drew them. I haven't been impressed, honestly. From what I've seen. Someone has cast. Um, I've had many uh what's it called? Solitude, I think is the pl Swords to Plowsher one cast against me. They just seem very weak. I think I think the white one would have been way better if Death Shadow was very popular, but no one's really playing that right now. As well as um, you know. If you're going to play... I just don't think they're very good. I mean, that's my opinion. I haven't seen them used very well. I'm yet to be impressed by one of them. I think in Legacy, I saw someone saying that the green one was really good because it's kind of like Force of Negation that you can hard cast it and it plays around days quite well or something because it's so cheap. But I honestly i am not impressed with them in Modern. I think they're too slim and... There are spells that are cheaper that do exactly what you want without having to give up a card. I oh actually, you know what, I did play against uh grief, to be fair. playing against like this black red discard deck. Um, the opponent massively punted though. They like evoked it and then took a card that wasn't force of negation in my hand and then ephemerated it, so then I just forced the ephemerate. I don't really know what they were doing, but um that that would have actually won them the game if they took the force but they decided not to so i think they they have slots that they can go into but i'm i'm not impressed with them also gab you even came onto my stream and said you weren't impressed with them right do you you know do you still feel the same way
1: yeah i tried them at first in a regular blue eye control shell and was really disappointed with subtlety they just what you said, you know, I wish I had just had mana leaks over it or literally anything. But I think you need to abuse them for them to be good. They're not, they're balanced enough that it's not just like, oh, I'm in these colors. I'm going to play the card. Hardcasting them is nice. I could see, you know, a card like Fury being decent in mid-range deck. You know, I saw a list that did well in prelim. It was the Ponza deck and they were just playing four Fury in the main deck. Grief has been super impressive for me in the Living End deck. But I could see it being slightly worse than forcing of Negation in some spots. Uh, for instance, against Control, it's really nice to see their hand and make them discard. But it's the good old problem of discard spells, right? They're not spending the mana. Whereas if you have Force of Negation, you can Violent Outburst end of their turn. You get to fight for free over their turn and untap... And have another cascade spell, and you can kind of tax their mana and out tempo them or out mana them. Whereas grief has higher upside, but if if you grieve them and they have like four counter spells in hand, you're like, well, okay, great, I got one. Uh, how do I get? Uh, how do I cast my spells? You know, how do I force my spells through?
2: Yeah, I think both of you are kind of alluding to the point that that I was going to make as well, which is that I don't think that you just put these into decks that aren't doing unfair things. So yeah grief's really good in living in because it's, it's ultimately an unfair deck and if you're playing like an unfair strategy, who cares about two for oneing yourself really you know, you you, you, re, you basically recoup the card advantage by shortening the length of the game or doing something that's basically doesn't matter how many cards your opponent has more than you you know you just punch a hole through them and 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 do your thing whereas you know people trying to play it in kind of you know blue white control decks like you know, subtleties or what's the what's the white one called again Sun so cute solitude yeah uh, subtly or solitude in those decks like you don't really ever want to two for one yourself to just kill a creature there aren't that there aren't so many obscenely powerful things in modern that you need to be that you need to be two for one yourself to swords them uh, so yeah i'm not, su- not surprised they have kind of haven't quite lived up to the hype uh, the green one definitely looks pretty impressive to me in uh older formats like legacy or whatnot as well i think just any way to interact for free in those formats and interacting with the graveyard obviously gets better the, the older the format is you know, so they're definitely got a place. I just they haven't quite lived up to people's expectations, but I think they're actually a really nice power level for modern. You know, they'll they'll see play in roles like you know in, in your Living End deck or 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 other strategies like that. Maybe Reanimator if it, it becomes a thing one day, but not. They're not kind of automatic four of includes or even includes in small numbers. Like I think we will kind of you know dabbling like oh we'll just play like some Force Negations and like one subtlety, but like who really cares? You don't need a subtlety. It's not very good. So.
0: I'm just... Sorry, yeah. Sorry yeah.
2: yeah. You can yeah, that's fine here.
0: Go I was honestly just gonna say, like, I think looking at them individually, like without a support card, I feel like the red one might be the best fit for modern now because with without so like obviously I think grief is great with ephemerate but I mean on their own, like um I think Fury might be really good because I saw a few Fair Decks um absolutely destroying Affinity, right, wiping their board because it actually allows you to get, like, a 3 for 2 or a 2 for 2. Whereas, I think, you know, the biggest problem is that you're 2 for one in yourself for a very narrow effect, right? Like, Force of Negation is narrow, but narrow in a way that you want it to be. Whereas, like, Subtlety is, like, kind of an aether guts which is really more of a cyborg card. And then Solitude, as well, is kind of like a cyborg card, really, because you're 2 for one in yourself to remove one creature. Like, I think all the cards individually have a meta game where they work well in, for example, like a Death Shadow meta for Solitude. But I think that, you know, you're just so limited with two for one of yourself for such a weak effect. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and especially about Fury as well. I think that card's got a potential to be
2: a, a, a player in essentially, I guess, more or less fair deck because it has that ability to not, not be card disadvantaged by default, you know, you know, killing two creatures or even three, if you're really lucky, can mitigate that. The 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 cost of pitching a spell. I was also I also think it's really it's in the right colors to take advantage of the tempo aspect that you gain from it quite a lot as well. So like maybe if you are like the mono red mirror or whatnot, like if you got if you can get get yourself on board and then just clear out their creatures, essentially taking two turns for the price of one. You know, I think that can really give you quite quite a solid a solid edge as well. So yeah, it's got it's got the most legs in terms of kind of like just fair fair deck inclusions, I think.
0: Okay, I think it would be irresponsible for us to not talk about Counterspell, and obviously I hinted at it earlier that I did play some Blue Moon uh, this past week. I also played some Blue-White Control as well, so I can get into that too. But honestly, like, with Counterspell in the format now, I feel like my Control decks are just way faster. I feel like I'm sandbagging less, I feel like I'm slamming more, and also I feel like my Archmage's Charms are drawing a lot more cards. I feel like... um. You know, a big problem with Blue Moon in the past is I talked about, like, having to play Behold the Multiverse, for example, and Remand, because you need to keep your uh, the cards flowing. Whereas with Counterspell now, I feel like um, I'm quite flooded on interaction a lot of the time, as well as playing Fire Nice as well. Having that kind of uh, flexibility to either, like, tap a permanent draw card or kill something was really, really good. And I felt like Blue Moon is finally coming together as a deck to actually... Uh, be somewhat playable in the sense that it maybe could be Tier 2. But I guess kind of deviating a little bit as well, Fire and Ice. I think I kind of said on the cast I highly doubted it. You know, two mana for two kind of somewhat mediocre effects is pretty weak. But when you think about it in reality, like I was saying, you know, you get flooded on card draw or removal spells. Well, when they're both in one, it's really nice. As well as with Snapcaster Mage. You know, what was really great is I was in a spot against humans where... They had, um, th- there was a human on the stack, and there was one card in their hand, and they had an Aether vial up. So I just tap draw the Aether Vial, they had to vial in their creature, and they gave me perfect information what I wanted to do. So that interaction was nice, you know, all these little things come into play. Got a couple, you know, sets of Noble Hierarchs killed as well. I really like Fire Ice. Three copies I was playing. I could easily see four. I remember you two were egging me on the group chat to play four. I think I'd just I, you on know,
2: the group chat to just find out how good is that, and just putting four copies in your deck gives you the best chance of drawing it and casting it.
0: Yeah, I'm, glad, I'm glad to hear
2: it's good, though.
1: kind of excites mm-hmm. me. It, it was pretty good in living it for you, right, Gab? Yeah, yeah it was good for me. The problem is there's a ton of options, and I, I'm not sure which ones are best, but being able to get rid of a meddling mage is appealing. Just buying yourself a turn in... You know slowing down maybe to fairy time raveler is the uh, the turn you need to to fire off your living end it was it was good it was good but you can only play so many of these cards i don't think stomp bone crusher john makes a ton of sense i think i'd rather have fire ice especially i'm if i'm gonna have force of negation and subtlety in my deck i was actually pretty impressed by subtlety in small numbers in the Living End deck, I do think you need critical mass of free spells. That's why the deck is busted, because you can get to turn free. Living End was that while having interact with your opponent. And I think in some ways I was underestimating the deck, and I was getting in these matchups where I was like, oh, I can't have too many of free spells because it's going to be too hard to assemble the perfect hands. But really, it wasn't that hard. And you want to keep, you know, maybe eight free spells in every matchup, whether it's Force, Grief, or Subtlety. So I was impressed by Subtlety there. I was impressed by Subtlety in Control mirrors. just free free flash for four was potential upside. Uh, I agree in general, the card was not not super great. Um, But yeah, going back to Control, I was not super impressed. I think Blue-White is in a good spot right now, should be in a good spot. I think the fairy Time Raveler is in a good spot. I think if you want to do the Terminus brainstone thing, that thing's pretty strong. If people are playing these living index or these creature based cra- graveyard based creature decks, Terminus should be decent. So my experience personally, my results have not been good with control, but I I know your results. I think Harry have been good. I can see Blood Moon being in a good spot. I think Fire ice is a strong card so yeah counter spell obviously a huge upgrade the question was always is is upgrading me good enough to keep up with the rest of the format though so i i guess harry how have your results been because i went three four was that for control i went i think two free both times i played blue white in a league but I, I feel like the, the text should be good in theory i haven't tried fire ice in control though yet
0: I'm going to be honest, my week has been so busy, I don't really remember what my results were. I think both Blue Moon and, like, Blue White Miracles with Brainstone, I went, like, 3-2. I don't think I had—the best res- The best results I had this week was with the Ragavan deck. I was doing really well with uh, aspiring spikes like Ragavan Delver deck. But um, with control, I was getting beaten up by—every league I played against, like, a Dredge deck and, uh, like, a Hogak—sorry, Feasting Troll King deck. And those um, just smashed me because I wasn't prepared. I didn't have any graveyard hate in both decks. So, obviously, got caught with my pants down. But I was really impressed. And also, the matches were close, by the way. It wasn't, like, an absolute reckoning. I guess, no, Blue Moon did get absolutely crushed by Feasting Troll King, to be fair. Like, you literally can't do anything. You have, like, bolts and stuff. And you have to, like, bolt, snap, bolt, or Troll King. Hope they don't have a Witch's oven in play or whatever. And then they still, like... Get loads of food. It's that matchup seems impossible without insane amount of graveyard hate. But what I did want to mention, though, you know, you talked about blue white control being decent. I think uh, we kind of uh, what is it? I, I had the same opinion of fire and ice as I did with prismatic ending. I think for those who follow me on Twitter, kind of saw some meme tweet that went kind of viral. I just tweeted out prismatic endings better than path to exile. Honestly, don't even know how that came up. I was literally. I, I was walking to the store to buy or to look at bikes and I was just walking with my mate and I was actually talking to him and in my head I just thought of that tweet tweeted it kept walking came back to like 50 likes I was like oh, okay that's interesting but uh, I actually do believe it I do think prismatic ending is better than path to exile something that I kind of overlooked is you know I mentioned on the on the cast when we were talking about it, I was like oh it's nice it excels eighth of all, it's nice it excels renin six and one drops and two drops but what about the bigger things well, the problem is when Watsy print a load of premium one-drops and new humans and new merfolk, everyone's playing Aetherval, everyone's playing, you know, the cookbook, Witch's Oven, whatever, all the one-drops and the cheap Planeswalkers. The, the, the card is really, really, really good. And um, it's. I feel like it was ins- I insanely overlooked it just because, I guess... I was looking at the previous metagame, but now it's so clear that this card is really, really good. Um, I've been in very few spots where Path to Exile is good. You can make an argument that Path is good against Feasting Troll King, but like I mentioned, don't forget they play Witch's Oven, and also they play multiple copies of Feasting Troll King as well. So uh, I think that Prismatic Ending's here to stay. I think it's very powerful. I also think that to Fairy Time Raveler is a lot, lot better in this metagame. Because with everyone playing one-drops and cheap things and artifacts and whatnot, um, Teferi Time Rather is great against all that, as well as it's great with uh, Prismatic Ending with the plus one. Just all of that. Just It, it seems it seemed to have lined up so perfectly, um, this set for Control for me anyways. I feel like it's had both the correct buff and nerf at the same time with how the metagames change and the cards that we've been given. That's kind of how I'm looking at it right now anyways.
1: Yeah, I've been the most impressed by that uh, Feasting Troll King deck. The the synergies, the card that kind of makes the deck is uh, somewhat of an obscure one, Oval Chase Daredevil. It's a 4-2 four, for a black and free. It's a human pilot, and it says whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control, you may return Oval Chase Daredevil from your graveyard to your hand, so... You Basically, discard it to go to the cookbook, you get a, a food, and it just goes straight back to your hand. And yeah, I played twice against that deck with Living End. I lost twice. The first time, I wasn't super prepared, I didn't have enough graveyard hate. Lost pretty miserably. I guess game one was kind of close. I got him really low, but yeah, hard. Second time, felt like I got out drawn. Open and had a good good draw. Game one, game two, they just went double ley line of the void on turn zero, and a solid draw to go with it. So that was hard to beat. But yeah, that, that, that's the deck that impressed me, impressed me the most. That engine's just so strong, whether it's Junt or people have been playing Blue for Rebuke and Emery. Uh, there's there's a few Shell, but that's Asmo, Cookbook, Daredevil, Shell, just really, really strong. Really good against creature decks. You just sack two foods to the Free Free to kill a creature. Um, super, yeah, super a, impressed. I keep
2: forgetting the uh, Asmodan. I'm just gonna call it Asmodan even though it's a, a character from Diablo or something. Yeah, I'm I'm keep forgetting that card has actual text at the very bottom that just says "Plague you into your opponent as well." Just kill all their creatures. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's so good. One mana, three, three, kill your creatures. Yeah, it's so it, hard to get established on board against it. Like you can, trying to beat it down, and it just like cleans you up. It's yeah, you know, it's really impressive.
1: It really is. As Also thinking, we were talking about Urza Saga earlier and which which deck benefits the most, what's the best shell. My pick right now would be Affinity, just because I think that Affinity without that card is probably not really a deck. And it's probably the the deck that uses the best because it has the most cheap artifacts. So you get these massive, massive tokens right away. Um, So that would be my pick for the best Urza Saga deck. Doesn't mean it's the best deck in the format, but... Maybe the decks that gains the most from Urza Saga.
2: I, I, it can't hurt that it also picks up a couple of other really big, big busts from this set as well, like Nettlestis, the equipment with Living Weapon, and also the Draw Two, uh, Flyer Two to Flyer. I always like every time I was playing Affinity previously in you know the kind of uh, Mox Opal era Affinity. Uh, I always kind of wanted to play Thoughtcast. Like you always had that like that tension where like do you play Galvanic Blast or do you play like some other kind of interaction or do you play Thoughtcast in that slot? And every time I wanted to play Thoughtcast, I was like, it's just too bad. I can't do it. I have to have some way of killing a creature. So I just err on the side of Galvanic Blast. But now you kinda of get it stapled onto a threat. And I, yeah, i am really impressed really impressed with that. I don't I think no one seems to have come to a consensus yet whether you're supposed to just play all the kind of blink moth nexuses or if you're supposed to play some of the come into play tapped artifact lands. Uh, yeah, it's just nice to see Affinity back, and also playing actual Affinity cards again, like Frogmite's back in back in vogue, which you know throws me back to kind of being you know 17 years old, really. So it's really nice to see that deck come back. I, I, I miss it. It's, when I banned Mox Opal, I wasn't sad for anything other than the loss of Affinity, because Affinity is such a kind of classic Magic deck. Yeah, I definitely agree with you that it's the card that benefits the most from Ezra Saga, though. Like it, it, it goes from completely unplayable to like genuinely good whereas you know, maybe maybe this food deck is is probably in their camp as well like it probably wouldn't be quite good enough if it if it didn't have saga to back it up
0: honestly i i feel like i, I don't want to agree with you guys cuz it's boring i'm going to disagree i think i think it's good in affinity but i feel like affinity um what is it i think that sorry sorry i think that these uh feasting troll king decks benefit a lot from urza's saga not only because it supports the combo, but what I forgot to mention was... I said, you know, I didn't have much graveyard hate. When I did have my graveyard hate against this Feasting Troll King-like graveyard deck, they just played a nurse's Saga and made two tokens, and I was scrambling to try and kill them. They're literally like a dredge deck or a combo deck that where the support card also makes them an alternate threat uh, to help them out to win the game. So, you know, normally like against dredge for example you cast rest in peace and then they just have a load of crappy cards in their hand that do nothing whereas if you cast rest in peace against the feasting troll king deck they cast all their crappy little one mana artifacts that do nothing to pump up these massive creatures that they're going to get from a nurse's saga so i'm gonna go with that i think i like the fact that it kind of supports um i guess this combo deck when uh when your opponent has hate yeah that deck
2: is just really multifaceted. Like, it, I think I, I mentioned a bit, a bit earlier. Like, it's really hard to find what angle of attack is right for it. And, you know, you, know, you can't target the graveyard too hard because they'll just, you know, cast asthma down and then attack you with their 3-3 three, three, and then make tokens with those as Saga. You know, you can't really, like, try and interact just with that. You can't, like, stony silence and hope that's good enough because they can just kill you with Troll King. Like, they get a quick Troll King draw. They'll get you. And also, you know, again, Saga... You know, makes just power and toughness on board, not activated abilities for these, these artifacts. So it's the sort of thing where what's your right angle of attack against it? And part of that, tying all that kind of like the, the diverse, you know, th- threats of that deck is a Saga entirely, I think. It's the kind of the card advantage and the threats and the, the dodging the hate at the same time. One, one way Gab kind of described best to go about it is just going over the top of it, like trying to do something bigger than it. And one deck we haven't really spoken about that's been doing quite well recently is this the other take on the Cascade decks, which is not to be casting Living End, but just to be like a, a rug deck that cascades into Crashing Footfalls. So Shardless Agent, uh, hit Crashing Footfalls, make 2 four fours and a 2-2. That's like turn 3, 10 power. In conjunction with a deck that's got you know all the interaction like Fire Ice, Brazen Borrow, or Bone Crusher Giant, Force of Negation, all this sort of stuff. Have you played? Has any, either of you played against that deck? And I'm like, what's your opinion on it?
1: I only played against it once. I was playing my Enduring Renault combo deck, and I got absolutely blasted. They had super fast clock backed up by disruption. I got hit by Force of Vigor after sideboard. That card's pretty nasty and kind of an answer to these Urza Saga deck so you know it's a card i don't play in living in because i feel like chores and foundation breakers make more sense but in a, a grindy deck or card that you know that's kind of a perfect sideboard card for for this deck maybe even who knows a main deck card and i was super impressed for some reason when when i saw this deck i was like yeah that deck looks pretty good but you know you know a couple of fatal pushes a couple of removal spells and Then what, for some reason, my brain did not comprehend that you could just go turn three Shardless Agent, get two, four, four, turn four, you just do it again, you get two more, four, four, you know, it just, it's not like living in where you have to, the first one's really good, but then the second one's kind of awkward. No, you just keep casting them. You've got these other free spells or chief spells to interact. And uh, I was, I mean, I was playing one of the weaker decks I've played when I played against it, but that that makes a ton of sense. The, the the 10 power as you said the Charles agent likes to to you know 2 turn clock if you're trying to goldfish against a combo deck that can be that can be huge um so yeah that's another cool shell and there's a lot of cards you can play i know spike built and maybe popularized that deck right away he was playing force subtlety at first he, he he did not like the card at all but uh you know maybe just stuff like cryptic commands or jace and um you get access to a ton of sideboard of cards too. You can, you know, whether it's the fours, the elementals. Yeah, no, it looks, it looks really, really strong. But I'm not sure when you say going over the top, I'm not sure making coupled rhinos goes over the top of Asmo and Feasting Troll King. So I'm not sure I agree with you there.
2: Yeah, maybe this is just a better tempo, more, more like a tempo deck than, than it is trying to go over the top. What other ways can you think conceive of to go over the top though? Like, I guess Amulet titans one way to go um again that's another deck that benefits a lot from us saga like the synergy between bounce lands and saga is actually pretty neat as well you can kind of make a token play a bounce land pick it up start again just keep that chain going but um are there, are there any other ways like i guess like we we talked about green a little bit uh i've even seen people playing like blue red storm which is a nice way of kind of just browning that browning the troll king deck i don't think i really you know what? What? What are they really doing? They're not killing you fast enough, so you can just turn three, turn four, combo kill them, undisrupted. Um, at the same time, probably spl- suffers a little bit from splash hate. This is one of the other things as well. Like what you're saying, you're living end deck is kind of like randomly bad, badly positioned. It's like people play a little bit of, little bit of graveyard hate here and there. It just kind of all the splash damage from the the facing troll king deck, really, really doing a number on on living end. So I'm I'm not sure what the best way of going over the top of it is right now. And that's that's that, that's got me left me a little bit puzzled, I think. How do I attack this format?
1: Yeah, as I said, I only played against it twice. I got beaten pretty badly twice. So we'll see. Um Rhino is also something that people have mentioned to me, playing that and my living in cyborg to dodge to hate, and I was against it, but I think it was the same thing for some reason. I didn't think you could just play it, play it again. I felt like, oh, that's not going to be good with my plan because then I have all these cycling creatures that what are they doing for me besides cycling? That doesn't sound so appealing. But if, if people are loading up on Graveyard Hate against you, you know, just Rhinos and you still have your griefs, your your forces or, or whatnot. So maybe it's not the, the worst plan in the world, but if you're going to pivot to that deck in in many matchups, it might be a sign that you should just play the the rhino deck but yeah the rhino deck super impressive The Feasting troll king impressive finity looks looks strong with ergo saga um you know i played all week but it's still not that many matches there's just so much to see uh so, so much to try i'm sure you know even just the past few days maybe there's been something new we haven't seen yet so it's uh no, it's kind of overwhelming but in a good way i guess
2: I agree with you. Definitely, it's pretty overwhelming at the moment. I'm not really sure where to start. I could, my, my first instinct was like, I'm just going to put Counterspell in Esper Control, and then I was like, I can't figure anything else out. I'm done. I'm just going to wait for it to all to shake out.
1: Yeah, one one big question for me is Ragavan, because that card was so expensive. You really didn't see, you know, as I said, I haven't played against it a single time. i seen people play with it. I saw a streamer called Connerman. He went on an 18-2 and two run. It was Zoo, just Tribal Zoo. Ragavan, Goyf. He was playing all the new two drops. He was playing the territorial cavu and the the Draco, and he had Ragavan as his one drops. He was playing tribal flames and primal might. He also had charless agent and mantis rider, and I believe eight hierarchs or six hierarchs. So makes sense, you know, just super super efficient cards. You get arguably the best card in the new set, and um. I was watching Spike play it and I was impressed by the the dash. I almost feel like if you remove dash from Ragavan, it's kind of an okay card, but the the dash on top of everything else, meaning that's an even better top deck in the mid game. And you know, he was even dashing it on turn three or something, you know, just going it's not like dash is only like you know, late in the game, just as early as turn three, sometimes you've emptied your hand and the best thing you can do is you know, dashing it's just better than casting it.
0: Yeah. From my experience, I mean, honestly, there's been a lot of games where I just go turn on Ragavan, they fatal push it, and then turn two, I have another Ragavan, so I just dash it in and and get the, the treasure, and then play like a Channeler or something. Um, I really love Ragavan, but also something don't forget as well. I'm pretty sure the rental services are closed for Modern Horizons two. Oh well, no, they only opened up today for people who are less than three months on Meta Traders, as well as like. Card Hoarder, I think, is one week after the set. So I feel like people are not playing with the really expensive cards as much because it's hard to rent them right now or just buy them straight out. And uh, that's why we're not seeing as much play with them. But I think the next week we'll actually get a real perspective on, you know, what are people doing with Ragavan? Because I honestly think the card is insane. Against any discard deck... You know, you attack, get a Discord spell, Discord. Oh, it's just too good. It's just too much value. It's too much fun. And as well as, you know how many times I played Ragavan turn one, attacked in Archmage's Charm turn two? The the card is nuts. The card is actually nuts. Yeah, that does sound incredible. It's aggro, card draw, and ramp for one mana. And it has dash. Nah, this card is, you cannot say this card is average. It's aggro, ramp, and card draw. (laughs) Sorry, I love it too much.
2: I'm certainly not trying to pretend it's an average card. It seems incredible to me. It's Again, I think this card availability thing has shaped the way the, la- the last you know week or, so, or the first week of this one has played out. So, yeah. I- I'm definitely curious to see what happens once more people get their hands on all the cards.
0: Well, I think we've kind of talked about all the decks we had in our show notes, but one thing I wanted to mention actually now is Unholy Heat, before we end the modern discussion. Um... It's a 1-mana instant, and it says deal 2 damage to target creature or planeswalker. And if you have Delirium, deal 6 damage instead. And I played this in Aspiring Spikes, um, like, Delver deck. And it really impressed me, because it's essentially Magmatic Sinkhole, right? But almost better. Sinkhole is a 6-mana, you know, uh, Delve spell. And... It's only really good against um, what is it? Kind of more mid rangey decks than aggro decks. Whereas Unholy Heat, it's a shock on the early turns, and it it it's a a big amount of damage on the later turns. If you want to like play around prowess, same thing with the mid range decks though. It's a shock on the early turns for like a Dark Confidant or maybe like a Ignoble Hierarch. Then it can kill like a Lily veil vale in the late game. I think that this is definitely going to be going into my Bloomin' list. Now that I've played it in the spring Spikes Delver deck, I think it's actually very, very powerful. If you think about it as well, it's basically the same thing. Uh, oh, wait, no, it's Delirium. No, it can't go in my Bloomin' deck. I ain't making Delirium. I wish it could. But it's essentially the same as Sinkhole, right? Because you need to fill the graveyard for Sinkhole to be castable. And then, obviously, this card, you need uh, the graveyard to be filled to have Delirium, so... I was really impressed by it, and uh, I think that it's kind of a really good option alongside Lightning Bolt for the format.
2: Yeah, there certainly hasn't been kind of much consensus as to what that kind of removal spell, like, you know, 5, 6, 7 might be in your in, in a deck that wants it, especially if that deck, that deck has two colors. So yeah, I, I'm interested to see, hear that you, you thought this card was good. Is it really been easy to turn on Delirium? Like, what kind of range of things are you playing? You obviously, like, land is trivial, instant is trivial. You play Bauble as well, and then, like, just a mix of some number of sorceries and
0: creatures one up in the graveyard. Yeah, so um, I think the card is really supported by the Dragon Reach Channeler, uh, to be honest, as well as you're naturally going to fill up your graveyard when you have f- four Archmage's Charms uh, and four Expressive Iteration. I was never really in spots where I was really making an effort to get delirium because I was just naturally getting it so fast. So I feel like, you know, you just get it naturally. You're not really fighting for it. You know, you got baubles and and lands, creatures, and stuff. And the surveil really helps as well as like your opponent plays discard. Your opponent plays removal spells. You got force of negation in your deck and stuff like that. Graveyard fills up really quick, you get Delirium. I don't need to really ramble about that.
1: My experience playing against the, the Chandler when they were playing Red-Black is they were not getting Delirium that fast, honestly. Really? The, the, the Surveil part against my Living End was scary, but they were not, that card was not hitting me for free damage on turn two or free, really. Even though I had... Yeah, because it was like Instance and lands, maybe Sorcery, that's free. If you don't have the bubble it's not th- it's not that trivial honestly, but maybe maybe they're getting a little unlucky. I think the card's uh, good I just don't think it was just super super easy.
0: I honestly think my channelers were three threes more than one ones for for most of my my two leagues I mean maybe I was getting really lucky, but I don't know yeah m- maybe I don't know i I thought I was getting delirium a lot to be fair, maybe I'm kind of. It's bad hindsight, but I don't know. More, more, more play testing will help out for next week. Anyways, we've exhausted modern this week. Gab, you did have a PT. Uh, <laughs> yeah, why, why PT, don't you tell yes, us about I, it?
1: I was so busy, I was able to play both challenges this weekend. Yeah, it was standard and historic, and I didn't make day two again. I did a bit better than last time. I was actually free in two, and I had to win one of the last two, but standard. Decided to run it back with that gruel deck in Standard and didn't treat me right. I went 1-3. and I had gone 2-1 in their Historic portion. I played the team's Jeskai Turns deck. That deck was busted. We put three people in the top eight, mostly on the back of that Jeskai Turns deck being great. It's the Velomachus in the, mob, the old creativity deck where you try to just put the dragon into play on turn four and hope to hit Time Warp and go off. But even without that, that deck's pretty... Pretty good. We had the Nezahal tech in the sideboard that no one else had, even though other people's plans were also solid. Sam Party, who ended up winning the tournament, I believe, had Shark Typhoons and Commence the endgame after sideboard it was a bunch of bounce spells like either Perilous Voyage or Into the Roll, maybe a combination of both. And um yeah, that was another solid plan, but we we really liked the Nezahal in the Phoenix matchup. Basically against Phoenix, you just turn into a Control deck was a ton of removal and cheap counters, cheap removal. Uh, And, you know, we're expecting people to bring in Fry against us, which is super good against a Dragon. And to dodge that, we just had Nezahal. It was a tag that Brent Voss came up with when he was testing for the last few tournaments. He was working on a blue-red list. Um, You know, the old combo list where you had to... To play creativity for two, and you're trying to hit the blue-red God and the two-five creatures that loot. Where you just basically make a one-one, draw a card, loot. So you make another one-one. You get like 30 one-one haste flyers and kill them that way. So we kind of had that in our back pocket and paid off. Unfortunately, you know, standard went poorly for me. I think that girl deck's kind of whatever. I think it's fine. I think I still got a little unlucky with the pairings. I didn't get paired against Saltai a single time. I think our Is a Dragons matchup was also somewhat decent. Didn't get paired against that. So, yeah. Yeah, it's Raph, not like that deck can really... You can say that
2: deck's bad, though. I mean, Raph did fine with it. He did, he did do fine with it the first time as well, but he definitely top at this tournament as well, right?
1: Yeah, he did well Was I think he went 6-2 and two in standard. I think Kai, not sure what his over-record was. He went maybe 4-4. Four and four, Maybe Kuneo went 3-5 and five or 4-4. Four four. Reed didn't make Day 2 either. But I think he only got to play a couple of rounds of standard, so maybe he went 1-1. One and one. So overall the deck maybe went like 50-50, which is okay. not great, but not terrible for standard. It was kind of the problem with that tournament, is that no, no one standard deck is definitely much better than the rest. So hard to get an edge there. Yeah, hard to or, make an
2: educated decision as to what to play if you can't really figure out what anyone else might gravitate towards. Yeah. And it's not like it's League Weekend as well, where you know the the twenty-four people you're playing against or whatnot. This is playing a two hundred person open field event. You know, it's just really hard to get a get a grasp of things. But it sounds like you had a really good really good deck for historic. In fact, it seems that you chose the right deck for historic. A deck that's yeah. so good that it's wound up, you know, triggering a ban discussion. Um a ban announcement actually.
1: Yeah, the team had sixty seven percent win rate, which was, you know, about maybe a bit better than Overall, Jeskai Turns win rate, but basically, the three best decks were the three most played decks were also the free decks was a bad win rate, I believe. It was Jeskai Turns, then Is It Phoenix, then Jeskai Control, and these decks all have in common Brainstorm and Iteration. So, mm. you know, definitely expected a ban or a suspension after this tournament. I expected it to be just Brainstorm. I was thinking maybe just iteration would be would be enough, but maybe not. Uh, some people mention Mxyz's Maze, um, Mastery, the card that lets you replay a sorcery from your graveyard, because it's it's kind of oppressive on in the early game. You can just discard Magma Opus on two, play it on turn three, and can be backbreaking for a lot of strategies. You know how do you interact with that if you're not playing counter spells? And you don't have Graveyard Hit in your main deck, kind of hard to main track with. It's also a late game win condition. It also powers the turns deck, so that would be a good nerf to the turns deck because you lose the Magma Opus Interaction. You'll lose just being able to recast your Time Warps. And they ended up banning Time Warp, just Time Warp itself. And I guess people were surprised. I was mostly certainly because... surprised. Hmm?
2: I was certainly surprised.
1: Yeah, mostly because okay, sure, I think the dragon deck is super nerfed. I haven't really looked into what you could play. You know, you would need either a different creature now that you don't have time warp because that was a big one, you know, dragon, hit time warp, untapped, to connect for turn and usually it's super easy to to win the game from that point, because you either have another Time Warp in hand, or you have a Mizzix Mastery, so you can flash back the other Time Warp, or even just you untap with six mana, and you have a deck with cards like Iteration, Memory Lapse, Prismari Command, and so it's super easy to win. So it makes sense, but now you still have, you know, the it Phoenix and Deskai Control Problem, that were the the two other best-performing decks. Yeah, so... it doesn't
2: make any sense to me why that would explicitly target... I guess it's the deck that won the tournament. It was like the breakout deck of that that tournament, but... It wasn't the only winning deck at all, and it's not like they don't have access to this data. I just—it doesn't make sense to me why they would choose to do something so specific and targeted. Do they not think? Do they not recognize that the shell is actually what's powerful here, not the kind of thing that you do with the shell at the end? It's, well, yeah, it's
1: very strange to me. They could be hoping that it's big enough nerf on the turn deck specifically. There's maybe the argument that. Time Warp is just a feel-bad card for a lot of players, just never getting to take another that's turn true. for the rest of the game. Maybe so, maybe people
2: have just clicked the frowny face a lot.
1: Yeah, someone was joking that that's how they make their decisions now, the, the, the frowny face oh, nice. survey they get at the end <laughs> of the, the games. I mean, that's not, a t- that's not a bad argument, honestly. And they're hoping that maybe just the meta can adapt to Phoenix and Jessica control or these Brainstorm Iteration decks. So... I don't think it's like, I thought it was funny more than anything, honestly. I don't think it was like the worst thing ever. I uh, I joked that, you know, the decks, it's 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 not called Jeskai Draw Free Put Back 2. It. It's called Jeskai Turn, so they just banned the namesake. But we'll see. We'll see. Maybe I'll, they, they want to keep Brainstorm part of the historic identity I didn't even read the, the arguments for Time Warp, you know, they always kind of explain. So maybe they have this this, you know, 5D chess vision for the format that we can't see yet. Um who knows? But it was definitely I don't think anyone saw Time Warp coming, really.
2: It wouldn't have been in my top five cards to ban. I don't think. I liked it. I liked the suggestion of physics mastery. I thought that was really nice. It's like redundancy on the time warp plus the kind of you know, it's a thing that ties the room together a lot in that in that uh Jess just, just Guy creativity combo deck. You know, it gives you the redundancy on the time walk, it also gives you that second that secondary plan of, you know, just fast magma opus. Yeah, it was just the perfect car for that's that, that that sort of deck, but you know, time walk is what it is, so it's banned now. And historic will honestly it probably won't even shake out that much. I mean it didn't disrupt the actual like two but most play decks or so yeah. Normally after these bands you kind of like, oh, well, we'll see how the format plays out. But I kind of, I, I kind of get a good, I got to feel like I've got a pretty good idea as to what happens in historic now. Just the the law hold deck or whatever goes away, and we just still have Phoenix at the top and Jeskai control.
0: Yeah, There might Phoenix. be a little
2: bit of movement underneath that, but I, I don't know. It's strange to me.
1: Yeah, we'll it,
2: it's a, it's somewhat disappointing though because I feel like I was really excited for historic about you know a month ago and now i'm a little bit kind of okay all right it's just yeah i don't know maybe it's a constant desire for change and upheaval and, uh, and stuff that the last kind of 12 mo- 24 months of magic has instilled in me but you know i was hoping for more of a change whereas you know if you asked me five years ago i would have been like no like a just did well at tournament why would you ban it let's you know yeah we'll figure it out
1: anyway. i feel like it might be enough of a shake-up for the next tournament but I'm not sure past that, you know. I feel like, you know, I have to have my, the next league weekend, the last league weekend of the year. I'm tied with Reed right now. Seth took a monster lead. He just had amazing performances. He went 10-2 in the league weekend. He top that tournament. So I think he's six points ahead of us now, or maybe even more. Uh, so he's basically, he's gonna get that third spot after Andre and PV most likely. And it's me, Reed. we're tied. We have we're one point ahead of Juza, and then maybe two or three points ahead of a few players. So likely going to be me read or choose up for that fourth slot that just locks you up MPL in Worlds. So it's a big weekend for me, and I feel like yeah, it might be just enough shakeup that it makes it fun and interesting to test for that one tournament. But if it's the same results again, then they're probably going to have to be to do something else. I don't mind the super light heart, uh, light touch approach, I guess, of Wizards in some of these cases. You know, kind of try to ban the strict minimum. It's, so I, I don't hate it, uh, but it, it was kind of unexpected and somewhat funny. Yeah. So talking we, of bans, oh, yeah, it, it, we didn't really it, yeah. mention it, but what do we think about Urza Saga? Is that card going to get banned? Is it, you know, I, I feel like, I, I mean, I've heard that so much people are like, should I buy the card? I'm going to spend like 100 or 200 bucks, and in one month, you know, it's, it's banned. What, what do
0: you guys think? I actually think it's um going to get banned, because I feel like it's exactly what Oko and Uro are doing, or were doing. You know, every deck is trying to play it, and I feel like when you have these metas where every deck is trying to play the card, eventually it's going to get banned. It's a borderline card. You know, I remember saying a lot of the time Uro was a borderline card. Well guess what a saga is one as well and i think it's probably going to get the axe if it's not in six months they'll print some artifact eventually that will get it banned or they'll come some new artifact synergy set for standard or something that gets it banned definitely i agree
2: with harry i think the opportunity cost for this card is just too low you just doesn't yeah. ask too it doesn't ask very much of you it's colorless land it goes in every deck uh, it's yeah, it's not long for this world, I don't think. I would, yeah. n- I would never buy a copy in paper. Maybe I, I was thinking about maybe buying some on Magic online just to kind of get a feel, just feel, feel it for a bit. But yeah. if you were going to buy on paper, where'd you buy it from? I would buy it from Magic The Gathering Card Market dot something. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Terrible fired. <laughs> what about Ra- what about Ragavan and Charlos Agent though? Is aren't these two cards also kind of like? Every every deck should start with four Ragavan. Every deck should start with four Charlotte's Agent. No, I don't. I don't
2: think so. I think that three mat, three mana card advantage spell like you know which, uh, Charlotte's Agent is, isn't anomalous for modern. Yes, it's very good. Yes, it's like gonna gonna probably gonna be a big player in the format. But it's not some card that's just absolutely unbeatable. And it doesn't go in every single deck. It just kind of like creates a little arch- sub archetype or whatnot. And Ragavan, and I mean, for as powerful it is, it's still a creature. That just, it's just a creature with power and toughness that dies to a lot of spells. Like every single spell that interacts with the creature will kill it. I think that it's. I think that you know they're both very good cards, but I, you can't really make the argument they just go in every every deck's land base essentially. I was just appalled when I saw that Magus of the Moon deck. So, so Magus of the Moon, the Magic Online user, not the card, Yeah, his blue, eye, his blue eye control deck, which is just straight up blue eye control, but it just has some baubles and an expedition map and four as a saga in it. <laughs> but that, that, that's a bridge too far in my opinion, it's just it's too much.
1: Don't you guys think just these decks are doing well because people are still trying too much random stuff and when the, the, the meta sells, it, it will be, mu- be much tougher? That card just straight up dies to Blood Moon, right? It di- I know it dies to spreading seas. You cast spreading seas. Yeah. We 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 mentioned it, but we didn't. You know, it's not obvious. The card actually just dies because, basically, I think it means that it considers it's resolved all its chapters, and so spreading seas is straight up blue in one. You know, stone Rain draw a card. Same for the Merfolk. I'm assuming blood moon does the same thing. If turning into the island kills it, blood moon turns into mountain and kills it as well. Yeah. Look,
2: I, I think there are definitely ways that you can target the card, but it's the sort of thing where it's just: Do you want to be the person hoping to play that play that matchup, or do you want to be playing the person playing the broken thing? And I think just playing the broken thing is uh, where it's got to be. It, I, I, def- I, I think that we, there is some element of yeah, people are just trying things out at the moment, and you know these decks are you know becoming refined and punishing people who are doing things that are less powerful. But I think that when all, all the dust is settled, the top the top dog will have this this card in it. And I think the second top dog will probably have it in it too, and maybe the third.
1: I'm not sure I agree. I'm not sure. I mean, my memory is not good, so I never remember what happened in old format, but isn't that the case of, okay, someone figured out that kind of really powerful strat, and it's really good right now while everyone's still messing around. So everyone's like, Oh, it's broken. Yeah. It's week, walk on, week one of the format. They, they might just be beating up on like, you know, bad decks. I mean, when I've been playing that living in deck, it's, uh, you know, whenever I don't play against one of the real good decks or maybe something like Blue-Eyed Control that's pretty hateful, I, I felt like I've had a pretty easy time um, beating, you know, even a card like Void stalker that card's super hateful, that exiles Graveyard, you know, when you cycle. Um, I even lost, I lost the game that has was such a feel bad. I forgot, I was super lazy, I cast Outburst on my turn instead of their turn, so they brought back their free two. The way it works is the free two comes back, my living in resolves, it gets exiled, and it just untapped, sagged the free two to recast my living in, and uh, that's how I lost the game. But yeah, point is, you know, playing lots of these honor fights, that it's super easy to feel like your decks busted on week one of a new format because you okay, you found something really good, sure, but is it really gonna hold up? You know, I was looking the last, the last couple, uh, the the very last modern prelim and the the top decks were white red prowess no new cards blue red prowess no new cards i think there was canister was that engine and then there was i think a red green ponza deck was fury but you know they're playing blood moon they're playing that they're ready you know they're already ready ready, so I'm I'll you know I'm reserving judgment kind of the, the classic balanced approach
0: uh you classic
2: know. Fen- classic fence sitter
1: yeah as
0: neutral as possible yeah no i think it'll get banned in three months that's my guess all right you're taking three months all right i'll i'll yeah. i'll take the over on three months gap over or under three months or never i guess you're never
1: <laughs> if it gets banned i don't know i don't remember how, ban- how fast oku got banned I think, it, I think it might be. Month. I think it might be never. Maybe maybe they'll unban stuff.
2: Maybe it was one month in standard.
1: I mean, they're printing oh. all these ridiculous cards in Modern Horizon, or like really powerful cards. Why? I mean, this one. Why not unban stuff?
0: Yeah, they'll okay. just print something better to uh, beat it. <laughs> okay, well, sadly, got to wrap up. I mean, I've got to go soon. So why don't we finish off the episode with the Prices Right again? So I guess for those who didn't last listen last week. Uh per our contract with Card Market, we gotta discuss prices of cards and what's the best way to do that, but make it into a game like Life on the Line. So we're gonna be playing the prices right, uh, and we'll do it with one card and basically we're all gonna guess how much we need the card costs, and then the person closest to it wins. So why don't we do it with um with uh grief? As I think that card had a lot of hype coming up to the set's release, and then now that it's come out, I feel like people aren't Really, playing with as much as they were talking with it. I'm going to start it off though. I think a booster must be like eight euros, nine euros. So I'm going to say it's 12 euros. That's my guess. Grief. Right. I'm going to go 18 euro.
1: All right. And just to mention, we're not playing the actual prices right rule where you can game people and overbid them by one cent. It's whoever gets closer. So 12, 18. I guess I probably have a pretty big edge going last, anyways. Huge edge. Yeah, because I can just go eighteen oh one.
2: Yeah, exactly, and get everything above eighteen. All right,
1: I'll I'll I'll, I'll be a bit more. I, I love that you're like we can't game it, but <laughs> thing is that but still I will game it since I'm going lost. All right, twelve eighteen. You know what? I'll go. I'll gamble. I'll go twenty four euros. I'll give you guys a shot. Oh, that's very generous of you.
0: I just went to cardmarket.com and checked out Grief English copy cheapest twenty nine ninety. Oh, yeah, dude, I was shocked. I
1: was, if you guys hadn't bid so low, if I was going first, I think I probably would have bid like twenty-five or thirty. When, when, when Harry
2: opened at twelve, I thought I was going. It immediately erased my desire to go to open at thirty. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. All right, Gab, you win. We're very bad at this game, but go to card market and spend your money. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Okay, and I guess we should finish with life on the line. For those new listening don't know what it is, it's a theoretical tournament tomorrow. If you win the event, you live. If you lose, you die. you got to bring a deck from every format we talked about today, which I guess is modern and historic, maybe. And modern, modern I'm going to... Oh, just modern. We're going to be playing the uh, Spikes Dragon Rage Channeler deck, uh, Delver and all that Ragavan stuff. What about you?
2: Right, okay. I'm going to play Underworld Cookbook as a deck. I'm going to play, like... Emrys, uh Baubles, Cookbooks, Street Rats, Daredevils. So I'm I'm gonna be trying to like grind my opponent out, cast some counter spells, but also have that busted draw potential. I think that's probably the the, the next phase of that 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 deck. Maybe play some counter spells too.
1: Tough. I love that Living End deck. I've played it a ton. It's a ton of fun. Super powerful, but I think I would go with one of these cookbook decks. I don't know which one, though. I haven't been, seen them that much in action, but maybe just you know a John version of of the cookbook deck if, if you was my life on the line this weekend. Awesome. Cool. I guess to finish things off, Gab, where can we find you on the internet? Yeah. I stream every day. I've been streaming a lot of Modern. Uh, Twitch.tv slash Yellow Hat. And on Twitter, at Gab Cool
0: uh you can find me streaming on twitch again twitch.tv slash mtg and uploading to youtube i'm going to try and upload a youtube video every three days or something like that i think is reasonable so go check out my youtube you're going to check out any socials what about you pat
2: just find me anywhere i need to get underscore smart and you can find me lurking in twitch chat most most evenings
0: awesome well if you made it this far into the episode thank you so much for listening i guess we'll catch you guys in the next one peace take care everyone